What is up? What is up? What is up, Fathom fam? It's so good to see you all in the house today. I love it. I love it. Um, if you're new here, uh, we don't make you do anything weird, like stand up on your seat and wave your hands or give us a social security number or anything like that, but uh, we do like to take uh, just a moment to let you know we love you and we're thinking of you. If you're new here, we hope that it feels like home. I hope that it feels like family. I hope that it feels like a place where you can grow in your faith, uh, that you can grow in your walk with Christ and you grow in family too. And uh, we need both. We need the word of God spoken in our life and we need the family of God speaking into our life, pouring into our life. And so uh, we just say welcome home to you if you're here. If you're watching online, uh, watching uh, on Facebook Live today, we love you. You're Fathom fam scattered out all over. Do you realize people are watching this stuff and listening to the podcast all over? It's just amazing what God's doing that. So we love you. And uh, our online ministry, it's a resource. It's not a replacement. There's nothing that can replace being in the house, being in the room with God's people, the encouragement that you receive through that. But uh, it is a resource for those when they're traveling or not in this city and need a life-giving church. So we're thankful you're here. Uh, man, I'm, I'm pumped. I'm really pumped to be here. Uh, I'm really excited about what God's done over this course of this summer. We started a series called Koinonia at the beginning of the summer, transitioned that right into a series called uh, We Are Family. And man, has it been amazing to watch what God's done in our group life. And just, uh, I told many of you, or I told you on a Sunday that you're going to move from seeing uh, your faith in black and white to seeing it in color as you engage in new friendships and watch what God does this summer. And man, have I loved that. Uh, had an amazing kids weekend. And then this past month, we've been honored to have some of our in-house leaders uh, pour the word into our lives. And I just want to take a second to honor them for their investment into us, pouring out their passion and preparation. Um, it, it's, uh, it's biblical to show honor to those that, um, that, that lead us. And I'm so thankful for them. We can't do what we do here uh, without incredible leaders uh, leading us uh, along the way. So I'm so thankful for them. Uh, but I'm pumped to be back here. It's been a month since I preached. That's the longest in my ministry that I have not preached. And so I'm going to do my best to keep this short and not like preach all day to make up for lost time. You know what I'm saying? So uh, no, but it's interesting because we're kind of in the middle of like in preacher world, what this is called uh, is called a standalone message because it lands between two series. Like everybody's all about the series stuff. It kind of helps us be on a journey together as opposed to just all these random messages in our faith. But um, we finish, we are family, and next week we're going to kick off a series uh, that's going to launch our fall season called The Best Yes. So next weekend's going to be amazing, and like if, if you don't have your calendar booked up already, uh, we're excited about what God's going to do because Saturday is our back to school bash, which is just an incredible opportunity for us to be able to serve our neighborhood. Uh, in my heart, like what good is it for us to kind of have all, all these church meetings if our neighborhoods aren't, aren't different, if our schools aren't being changed, and, and it's the body of Christ that are going out to be the light. So this coming Saturday, make sure you're part of the back to school bash if you can. Right down at Crown Point, uh, uh, right down the road, it's a Title I school, um, and, and they've welcomed us. They're giving us opportunities to pour in, to have prayer teams, to bounce houses, water bounce houses. It's going to be a an amazing good time. So that's next uh, Saturday. And then next Sunday, we're kicking off a series called The Best Yes. If your life looks anything like my life looks like in the fall, and some of us, your life may not look like mine, but particularly for families, for those that are on school schedules, it's about to get very real with scheduling and planning. And we're starting a series called The Best Yes, because there's so many opportunities for us to say yes to things but we got to learn how to say no to some stuff. we gotta, we got to learn to say um, yes to the right things and, and say no 
to the things that need to be said no to and give up the good so that we can have the great, so that we can have the best that God has for us. So invite somebody out to be a part. Uh, start next week, the best yes. It's going to be a journey for the next month that I'm, I'm really excited about. So, so I'm on this standalone message in between two series, and I'm kind of stuck in the middle. And as I was preparing and praying for uh, this day, uh, I had a bunch of like messages drop in my heart, but God really refined them very quickly to uh, a message called How to Keep the Faith in the Middle. How to keep the faith in the middle. Uh, some of you will know this if you've been around for a, a while, at least for the past year. Today marks one year from what we called Demo Day around here because uh, the lobby that you walked into the bathrooms, for those of you that are new, uh, that looked all very different. That's all been done in the past uh, year. But last year on this very day, it was Demo Day. We had church and then we demoed that thing and it was amazing. And it was the start of something really exciting, what we've called Phase One in a, a two, really a three-phase kind of vision to move it forward, but we're just talking about first two. We're, and we're right in the middle of phase two right now, raising funds for that. But it's one year today. Isn't that crazy? For those of you that have been around, like that was one year we knocked all the walls down and love what God, yeah, absolutely. It's been amazing to see what God has done uh, through that. And it was so exciting. So I planned for that project to last one month and I nailed it. And I mean it like in that show on Netflix, nailed it, in which they don't really nail it. <laughs> so I thought it was going to last a month. My hope was for it to last a month. It lasted four months. So let's, I nail it, right? I nailed it. Uh, that whole first month we spent off site. We were doing what we called church in the wild. So we did the back to school bash on a Sunday, which this year we're doing on a Saturday. And uh, we did house churches and we went to the beach together and celebrated together one day. And, um, and then we got into the middle of it and we had a restroom trailers outside and everybody entered and exit through this door over here. Some of you guys remember that? Like those services, that wasn't awkward at all to be like music is starting and we're rolling in late and like walking in. I'm like, hey everybody, I'm here, <laughs> late. Um, that was week two and then uh, we did that for a month with the restroom trailers outside and, and then we kind of did this, this one kind of month or month and a half in which we had like, you know, industrial floors. We kept saying we're going for the industrial look because it was like very industrial plywood and concrete floors and just a makeshift kind of lobby and bathroom set up. What, uh, what you don't know, and I don't say this for, for whatever reason, but I had a couple of people who were lined up to, to help with some of the plumbing stuff and, and they, they dropped the ball on us pretty, pretty regularly. And so uh, I didn't do plumbing. I don't do plumbing currently still, but on those Sundays for about six weeks, I did plumbing. Uh, because we had laborers working all the way into the night on Friday and Saturday. And so I would come in very early on uh, Sunday morning and I'd have my Bible in one hand and my pipe wrench in the other hand because I had to install toilets and sinks. Okay, And so I can tell you that this season, the six weeks that, that I was kind of right in the middle of that project was some of the most stressful season of my life. It, it, was, it was brutal. I mean, it was like uh, find the nearest ledge jump off. I mean, it was, it was terrible. It was, it was brutal. And I, I tried to be honest about that and also not show it. You know what I mean? There's like, like, I don't want to show I'm, I'm sweating too much, but I got to be real. You know what I mean? So I was balanced, trying to live that out. It was the most stressful season of my life. And in it, God broke off so many things in my heart that had, he'd begun to chip away at. And in that season, he broke so many other things off and, and really shaped me in deep ways. And, and I think we get that in our lives because what I've learned is that it's easy to have the faith at the beginning, right? When we're living in the Lego movie and everything is awesome, right? We love that at the beginning. 
And it's easy to have faith at the end because we can see the finish line. And really, that's not faith at all because we can see the finish line. But where it's hard to have the faith is, well, when you're in the middle and you got your Bible in one hand and a pipe wrench in the other, and you're just going to work every day and you're going through ministry and your life and parenting every day, and you're just, it's just, it's just hard. And I realize that, that we're all in the middle in some areas of our life. We're in the middle of our road to uh, recovery and addiction. We're in the middle of uh, finishing our degree. We're in the middle of raising kids. We're in the middle of getting our kids out of the house. We're in the middle of recovering from a sickness or going through a grief cycle. We found ourselves in the middle before. And I just want to tell you, get used to it. <laughs> Get used to living in the middle, and we've got to learn how to live in the middle because the reality is we're going to spend the majority of our life in the middle, and it's a lot harder in the middle, but that's when faith really comes alive, and that's when it gets built up, and, and, and that's what I want to talk to you about today is how to keep the faith when you're in the middle. Uh, God really pointed me to a specific text today in Nehemiah. Nehemiah ends up being one of my favorite books in the Bible. I don't preach on it all all the time. Um, You know, you'd think like a pastor, he just preaches on his favorite books, but this is one of my favorite and not maybe for the reasons that many would notice, but uh, I want to turn to it today and just to catch you up, we're, we're going to jump to the middle of the story. We're going to, we're going to jump to Nehemiah chapter four, which is kind of the middle of, of, of the epic story. Of, of Nehemiah coming and gathering the people of Israel together to rebuild the walls. We're going to go there. Let me help you uh, kind of jump into the context here. So King Artaxerxes, who you probably learned about, who was a Persian king um, in 444 BC. So that's kind of the time period we're looking at. King Artaxerxes was king, and Nehemiah, who the book is named after, who it most likely was written by, is in kind of the Persian royal guard. He's uh, what um, we would think of like, as like secret service for the president. He's like in the inner circle that's there to protect the king, and his specific role was cupbearer. So I've always thought, like, I want to be a cereal taste tester, like, like for like breakfast cereal. I love breakfast cereal. At one point in our marriage, we walked in there, and she's like, you have so many boxes of cereal. You're the only, it was before we had kids. We have so many boxes of cereal. How many are in there? I'm like, I got to count. And I went in there, and there's 14 boxes of cereal. And you know how it is. There's like that much left in all of them, and you just kept going. So I always thought that would be an amazing job to have a taste tester, but Nehemiah's job description was a little bit different than mine. His was like secret service to take a bullet for the president. So his was that to take that for the king. If somebody wanted to poison the king, he would... He would die. Like, that, was a tough, that was a tough gig. So he was there, but he's, he's a Jew, and it also comes at the time in 444 B.C. in which the Jews have been run out of Jerusalem. Uh, it's been ransacked. The walls have been torn down. And that time, uh, it was, uh, walls were a major thing of security as we have this giant political conversation happening in our country right now. We won't go there today. Uh, but, but that's what's taken place. In that time, it was, it was extremely important for the security and the safety of that, and it's all been run down, and the people have been carried away in something known as the Babylonian exile or the Babylonian captivity. So they're pushed out of the city, they're spread all over the place, and things are rough. And Nehemiah hears about it in Nehemiah chapter one. He hears about kind of the shape of his hometown. He hears like the shape of his home church and his home people. And his brother comes to him and he's like, Man, things are bad. Like people are troubled. And they really feel disgraced. That's the kind of a stinging word in that text, disgraced. They, 
They look down on themselves. They feel no identity. They, they have no home to go home to. They've lost everything in their life. And Nehemiah takes this as a, a burden for himself, and he, he begins to pray to God. And, and first, he, he goes and he just weeps. He just cries. You, you ever heard news, and it like actually moved you to the point of like, I'm broken. I'm just a mess about this, whether it's losing a family member or, 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 or something that's gone on in your family or in your church or your hometown. It just breaks your heart. And that's where Nehemiah was, and, but he wanted to do something. He was a chief burden bearer at this, and he, he went back to his hometown to, to you know, gather people together and rebuild the walls. There's lots of more details we're going to skip over, but let's dive into Nehemiah chapter 4 today, right in the middle of the story. I want to read about 14 verses, so if you're reading along in your Bible or your Bible app or on the screen, just, just hang with me and, and stay locked in, because we're jumping into the middle of the story. If it's highlighted, I want you to read it out loud with me. Can we do that? Is that too weird? So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their hearts. But when Symbalat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs of Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and the gaps were being closed, they were making progress. The other, the, these other people, their enemies, they became angry. So they plotted together to come and, and fight against, the, uh, against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But, but we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. And also our enemies said, before they know it or see us, this is what their enemies are saying, we'll be right there among them and we'll kill them and we'll put an end to the work. And then the Jews who lived near them, they came and told us 10 times over. This sounds like my kids. They're telling me 10 times, wherever you turn, they're going to attack us. Therefore, I stationed some people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords and spears and bows. And after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your families and your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. And when our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot, that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. And from that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears and shields and bows and armor. And the officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall couple more verses here. And those who carried the materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side and as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. And we'll wrap it here. The next text here. Next verse. And they, uh, then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sounds of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. Thank you guys for hanging with me. You did awesome. Um, I want to actually go back to one verse that's in the middle of, of the middle. <laughs> See what I'm doing here? A lot of middle stuff. We're in the middle of two series, and um, we're in the middle of a text, in the middle of a story. 
I want to go back to verse 10, and I want to read it in King James. I don't know if some of y'all are KJV only. That was NIV. But I want to go to one verse in the KJV that really, I think, illuminates what God has laid on my heart to, to deliver to us today. And this is the way it's said in, in the King James. The strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed, and there's much rubbish so that we're not able to build the wall. See, they're halfway in. Halfway the wall has been built, and the people are tired. They've been taking shots from the enemy. They've been taking shots from life, and they're just, they're just tired, and they're just frustrated. They're exhausted even, but the scripture in King James calls them the bearers of burdens, and I want to spend a few minutes talking about what it looks like to bear a burden, because I believe we all bear a burden. Um, I, when uh, we any of you in the room who have, uh, I know we've got a lot of students and, and, and maybe young people here who you have not taken on the burden responsibility of paying for your own bills, right? Where are my students at? I don't pay for my bills. Come on. Amen. You just enjoy that as long as you can, as long as mama lets you. But there is a day in which all the adults in the room can say, I've come to that day a long time ago, and I took on the burden of responsibility to pay for my own bills, right? There's a transfer of the burden of responsibility, I remember when I was a, a, an associate staff member uh, on staff at a church, and I carried a burden for our church. I carried a burden for the city, and when I transitioned into the role of lead pastor to plant this church, I, I realized that there was a transition of a burden there that I didn't quite uh, grasp. Er, er, earlier, uh, I guess in 2012, when Taryn and I moved here, so far in the marriage, I had watched over our finances. I had cared for the burden of making sure all the bills are paid. Many of you, you're in that seat right now. And, and I was taking over just trying to make sure we survived and thrived financially as a church. And so I said, hey, babe, can you take that over? And so there was a transition of that burden. And so she's carried that. And what I believe in each one of our lives is that we all carry a burden. We, we all carry a burden that may look different for us. In fact, I'd say you carry a lot of different burdens. You may carry a burden for an unbelieving spouse. You may carry a burden for uh, your children because of what they're going through in a particular season. You may carry a burden for those refugees on the border or maybe the poor in our city, maybe for your church maybe for your neighborhood, maybe for your coworker. I'm guessing we, we all bear a burden. I'm guessing you, you bear a bunch of burdens. The problem is that we don't really know how to bear those burdens. We don't know how to carry those. And just to kind of help us understand, what is he talking about when he says a burden? Well, I would say like this. It's a particular feeling of heaviness or concern. I think you've got this up there. Heaviness of concern for the, the spiritual well-being, the health of an individual or a family, or a situation, or a circumstance. It's a heaviness. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? You're tracking with me. You've felt that before. Like, I feel a burden over that situation. You can't stop thinking about it. You may cry about it like Nehemiah did, but at some point, the burden is provoked to action. So we all carry a burden. And, and why I think we've got to get used to being in the middle as, as burden bearers is because this is the reality for people who seek the heart of God. When you seek the heart of God, what you're going to discover, what's going to happen, there's going to be a transfer of burden. You're going to become illuminated to the, the pain and the darkness in our world, the hurting and the hungry in our world, and, and you're going to begin to feel a burden for those. But what ends up happening for so many people is that the burden becomes debilitating and they're exhausted. And they look around and like, there's so much rubbish. There's so much rubble in my own life, let alone everybody else's life. 
And I just, I can't, I can't do it. We're never going to build this wall. The reality can be debilitating if we're not deeply rooted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We, we, we all carry a different kind of burden. So let, let me break this down another way for us. The essence of a burden is something's not right. There's hungry people. There's hurting people. Someone's lost. The essence of Jesus is he's everything right. He's perfect. He's making all things right. He's making all things new. The essence of the burden is something's not right. The essence of Jesus is he is all that is right. The essence of you and I as bearers of burdens is we're in the middle. And Jesus has called us to bear that burden, but not bear it as the world does, but to bear it differently. And I think the prophet in Isaiah 61, 3 actually said this, prophesying about the coming of Jesus and what he would do. In verse 3, he said that, that they're basically, let me just put it in my words, that, that there's going to be this transfer, that he's come to lift a spirit of heaviness, to take off the heaviness, and instead to cloak us with a garment of praise. That it's possible that while we're in the middle, bearers of burdens, carrying the light that he's placed inside of us and just allowing it to shine through us, caught in the middle between all that's perfect and all that's very broken in this world. And we can find ourselves disassociated from this world and just associating only with Christians or, or, or healthy environments and forget that we're actually called to be in the middle. That we're actually called, but we can't do it when we think we're Lord and Savior. That we are the responsible, we're the responsible ones to make it all work. When really, it's He's the light, and we're just, we're just open, and we're just letting Him shine through us. It's one of the awesome things in Scripture. Is Jesus says, "I'm the light of the world" in the Gospel of John, and in His Sermon on the Mount, He says, "You're the light of the world." So it's both. He's the light of the world, and, and we just let Him shine through us. So I think we've got to understand this and. Uh, and understand what it means. And so I just want to speak to the, the burden bearers, the, the bearers of burdens in the room, and, and just speak Galatians 6, 9 to you, that don't grow weary in doing good. Don't get tired when you're in the middle. Don't get tired. Taryn has had this verse that I've just I've fallen in love with over the past probably couple months as it's been posted in our living room on a board. She changes the letters and words on and it's usually scripture, and it says, be steadfast, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Be steadfast, immovable, always giving yourself to the work of the Lord. In verse 6, you read it out loud, the people were working with all their heart. By verse 10, we're like, we quit. <laughs> you know, four verses later, and like things have, have mightily changed because it kind of caught up to them in bearing the burden. They didn't really know how to carry it. So I would just say, in the middle, we got to be steadfast. we got to be immovable and just keep hard at the work that God has called us to. Uh, so uh, let me just give you a few quick thoughts on this, and I want to transition to the strength decaying here in just a moment. But I think it, it starts here, um, and I mentioned this already. How, how do we carry this burden? Well, one, we got to be deeply rooted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, uh, a.k.a. we got to actually trust him. Like, not, not say we trust him, not like it's our voter registration card that we pull out once every two years or four years that we're like, hey, yep, yep, faith, here it is. No, no, it's, it's active and it's alive. And, and I think most of us, like, we operate in our faith to the point in which we actually have to use faith. 
aka no faith at all. Like what good is faith that without works is what James really tried to communicate to us. It's got to be alive. It's got to be active. It's got to be real faith. And if we're going to carry these burdens, if we're going to do it right, we've got to be deeply rooted in Jesus. And every single season will just teach you how much you're not rooted in Jesus and in what areas you're not rooted in Jesus. And then we just say, okay, God, but I'm going to trust you beyond that comfort zone. I'm going to trust you beyond what I can see because I'm in the middle. Can't see the end. I'm going to trust you beyond my feelings because everything's not awesome anymore. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually trust you. We've got to be deeply rooted. We've got to be reliant upon his all-sufficient grace. Completely and totally reliant upon his all-sufficient grace. You know, the people that they called together, we didn't kind of go through it all, but uh, chapters 3 really talks about the people that he gathered together. They were, all, they were all Jews, and he gathered together, and it wasn't people who were experts at wall building. He didn't go find the contractors who really knew what they were doing. He was gathering anybody who will. It was like starting a church. Like, who wants to come to a church and help us do a lot of stuff for free? Awesome. So he was gathering the people up, and, and it was goldsmiths. Like, they didn't know anything about building walls, and, and there was merchants. Like, they sold stuff. They, didn't, they were salesmen. They didn't know what to do. It was priests. You know, they don't know what to do. Um, that was a joke. So... I'll give you the cue. This is a joke. Be prepared. Give me a courtesy laugh next time. So uh, merchants, and there was all these families, and these families were coming together, and I love how he says, fight for your families. Fight for your sons and daughters. What a powerful thing of the motive in which we operate from to go to hard work is because I'm doing it for my family, and I could just tell you as a pastor, I thought about so many things and so many lives that would be transformed, and I tell people this all the time. The, the lives and the families that I never thought would be impacted so greatly as my own and what God would do through the body of Christ in my own children, in my own marriage. I'm so grateful for that. Um, and so they go out to work. And so they, the families, like there'd be some, some families stationed over at the east gate. And then there were some people who drew, drew the short end of the straw and they were stationed at the dung gate. The dung gate. Yes, you heard that correctly. There was a dung gate that they moved all the poo out of the city and dropped it off there I think if we were to contextualize this in, in Fathom Church, I'm guessing that's the nursery. I'm not totally sure. The Dungate. I'm so thankful for people who are hustling and working with all their heart. Miss Rhonda and uh, Kayla are over there today just killing it. And what a passion they have. I'm so thankful for them. But they, what I'm saying is they weren't relied upon their own grace, their own strength. They, they weren't relying upon their own sufficiency. They were relying on the grace of God to carry them through. And we must too. Most of us, we just want to go up to our sufficiency, what we can do in our own strength and our own wisdom, and we never encounter and experience the all-sufficient grace of God. And you're, miss, you're missing out. And so we got to carry it forward. And the thing that I love most about this book that I think is so powerful about the life of Nehemiah is that he was a devoted man of prayer. He was, he was a prayer warrior. In fact, if you look through the, the book of Nehemiah, it's incredible he gets the burden, he prays. There's opposition, he prays. They finish the wall in 52 days. Spoiler alert, they do. They, they finish it, he prays. He's just a praying man of God. And, and God wants to shape men of God in this place to be prayer warriors. That we're just gonna, we're just gonna pray over our families. We're gonna pray against the opposition. We're women of God in this room, mothers of prayer who just say, I'm gonna keep praying. I'm gonna become a prayer warrior. You don't start by just like jumping zero to 60 on that. You just start. You just start praying more and more and we become devoted to a life of prayer. If we're gonna, if we're gonna handle the burden, we, we gotta have these 
deeply rooted in, in who we are. But that's not all verse 10 said. It's not all that God really laid on my heart. I, I really wanted to speak into us uh, a little further about the second part, which is about their strength decaying. Their, their strength decaying. You know, uh, for uh, Nehemiah, uh, he was this chief uh, burden bearer, and he's seeing all the strength decaying. And the people, it, it wasn't one catastrophic blow that really caused their strength to decay. It, it wasn't the major blow up that really caused their strength to decay. It was, it was just a bunch of little stuff. It was just little punches they kept taking, and eventually like they were just, they were just tired. They're just exhausted. They're just beat up and feel like they couldn't go anymore. There's too much, there's too much work. We're just, they were just in the middle. I mean, from verse 2, they have the criticism of these enemies where they're criticizing their strength. Like, you're too weak to do it. They're criticizing their faith. Like, why do you even believe in that God? They're criticizing every little thing uh, about them. And then there was the, the blows of the very real threats like their paycheck didn't get there on time. Like there's very real threats of death. Talks of downsizing at your job. Like we feel some very real threats. And it wasn't that, but it was that mixed with the criticism of my boss and what the person kind of gave me a weird look at church. I didn't really know what that meant. I mean, it was, it was that and it was that. And it was, it, was all the, it was all the little punches. It wasn't one like knockout punch. It was, it was just all of them that began to build up the and I think the same is true for us. When we're in the middle, we start wavering. We start wavering. We, start, we stop doing the things we did at the beginning when we were on fire for God. And we start getting, getting negative about hope actually. There's just too much. Like, we're just not going to be able to get it done. Like, we just, we start facing the reality of our situation instead of the reality of our Savior. And this is what, and they get scared. They frankly are just scared. They let all the outside punches really shake their faith. And this is why Nehemiah says, don't be afraid. Your God, you read it out loud, is great and awesome. This is why we've got to be so deeply rooted in Jesus as Lord and Savior and actually trust him. Because we will have opportunity to show it when we're in the middle. Whether we actually trust him. This is why we've got to go past our sufficiency and lean into his. Because we're going to frankly need it when we're in the middle and I'm looking out, and I see some teachers in the room, and y'all are at the beginning right now, and y'all pumped about this year, but just play this message back in two and a half, three months when you're in the middle, and you're just like, I, I don't know if I can make it to the end of the year. I don't know. And we start getting cynical about God's promises actually coming to pass. We begin to doubt. I, I think we primarily begin our strength decays for two primary reasons, and we could put them in a lot of detailed things. I just want to break them down to two. One is discouragement. This is what happened with them. They, they were discouraged. Unmet expectations. I didn't know anybody was going to come against me. And frankly, I think this is what's up with a lot of believers, why they struggle in the middle. They're like, I thought everything was going to be amazing. Like, no. Like, we got to read the Bible, you, you know what it cost those disciples? Like many of them, their lives. Like they martyred for their faith and, and, and we're just so cushy and want stuff that like will make us feel better 24-7, but the reality is that it's not always easy. Discouragement is gonna come and we've gotta press past that. We gotta keep the faith 
when we're in the middle, we've got to keep doing the things we did at the beginning when we were on fire. And even when we can't see the end, we, we can't get cynical. We've got to know that his promises are true and they're going to come to pass. It's discouragement because I think people are hard. Most of our discouragement comes from people. They let us down. And it's a burden, and we're trying to get the burden fixed, and we're just like, no, you're supposed to be right. No, we burden of a broken world is that Jesus is the only thing right. And we're trying to find perfection in all the people, and we're trying to find it in all the wrong places. We talk about trying to find love in all the wrong places. We're trying to find perfection in all the wrong places, in all the wrong people. People are hard, and discouragement will come, but we've got to be able to fight it. Uh, the second thing I, I think is exhaustion. Not just people are hard, but the, the work's hard. Like we hoped being an adult, raising a family, keeping a marriage thriving and vibrant when we're tired after, we thought all that would be easy. But then we realized, no, work is hard. And we just get exhausted. We just get exhausted. So I'm, I'm telling you all the bad stuff. Well, how, what do we do with that, Pastor? Thanks for reminding me why it's, my strength's decaying. But but what, what do we do with that? Let, let, let me help with just a, a few things here. Uh, it goes back to everything we, we said. We've got to build on the deeply rooted in Christ, all sufficiency of his grace, and devoted life of prayer. But let's build on that. I think it starts with, with being sta- like staying connected to God. Staying connected to God. John 15 says this, Jesus says, Apart from me, you can, do, you can bear no fruit. Like nothing is good is going to happen when we are disconnected from God. Like, we're not opening the word of God. We're not praying. We haven't talked to him in weeks. We haven't, you know what I mean? First dates are a little bit of awkward, you know? And we just push past some of that awkwardness. Like, sorry, I haven't been here in a while, but here I am. I want to apologize for everything. We just need to be real. Like, that's when the date really starts going good is when you just get real. And if it's supposed to work, it's supposed to work. We just get real, not trying to gloss everything over. I feel like I'm giving you dating advice now, so you're welcome for that. But just keep real. But we stay connected to God. I think we got to stay connected to not just the giver of life, but people who breathe life into us. We, we, want, we want to just build ourselves into these independent robots. And it leads us so far from what the life God has called us to. We're not called to be independent. We're called to be completely dependent on him and completely dependent on the body of Christ. That where we are weak, they are strong. And when we stay connected, we can make it through the middle. But what usually happens is in the middle, we start spacing. We start getting disconnected from our groups, our serve teams. We start disconnecting from people who are breathing life into us. And, and we disconnect and we run it alone and we get isolated. And, and it's, it's too hard to do alone. It's too discouraging to do alone. I need a God. I need to stay connected to God who's going to breathe life into me and bear fruit through me. And then uh, we need to stay connected to people who breathe life into us. And then finally, I think the third thing here is a vision that's not about you. You say, well, that that sounds self-serving, Pastor. I don't care what vision it is. I think this one happens to be amazing. But I I think ultimately what happens when we're discouraged and we're hurting and we're tired, we get very, very selfish. It's a protection. It's a protection. In our brains, we think this will help. But let me explain it with a little illustration like this. Here's what I've found. When I come in and I've got 10% left on my energy bar of my, of my life, I've got 10% left, when I choose to empty that in service to a vision that's not about me, one, I don't continue down a path of selfishness even though my painful flesh wants me to go there. 
Like that's where I want to go in my flesh. I, I, I don't go there. I empty myself and I actually get filled back up all the way to the top, more than what I can. And it may not happen every day and every moment, but it happens as I stay connected to the people. I say, stay connected to God, stay connected to vision that's not about me. And I get filled back up. But what happens when I have 10% and I just don't have it? It just, it just drains until there's nothing left, nothing to breathe life back into me. I'm not connected to the, the life that God has for me in him. I'm not connected to vision, so I just increasingly become selfish and make it about me. And then we find ourselves exhausted. We're like, how did I get here? I'm so discouraged in the middle, and, and here it is. I think we've got to stay connected to a God who is the giver of life. We've got to stay connected to people who breathe life. And I'm not just talking about like, like just attending Sundays. Like, no, we need to actually be in each other's lives where they can speak life into us and encouragement. Well, and that's kind of the solution, I think, for the discouragement is encouragement and staying connected. But I think for the exhaustion, I think it's a little bit of a different prescription for us. And I would just say it like this and encompass a lot of things. We got to learn to practice better rhythms, practice better rhythms. We're going to talk about this in this next series a little bit. We got to have better daily rhythms. We got to have better weekly, monthly, annual. We got to have better rhythms some of us, like, we, we wonder why we're exhausted, why we're spiritually dry, and, and we haven't even stopped to pray and read God's word, and we don't know how long. And, and we use ignorance as, like, a thing. Uh, we use insecurity. We use fear. Oh, God's going to convict me. Or we use past experience as excuses. We got them. We use busyness as excuses. Like, you think you're the only one that, like, gets busy? <laughs> No, like, we get it. You think the people in the Bible didn't understand that? No, they did. They lived that. They were working hard at it. We've got to establish better rhythms, though, in our daily life. Start our days with the Word of God and let Him breathe life into me. We've got to have weekly rhythms of Sabbath, of rest, like where we actually shut down our paid and unpaid work. Like, we just pack all of our stuff on our day off. No, we've got we to think smarter, not harder. We're going to deal with with that. That's a tease for our next series that we're really going to help you with that. It's, it's life-changing to keep your joy. And even annual, like I'll just say, like some of us, we can't remember the last time we went on vacation. Like it's been that long. And, and I get it. There, there's a financial thing. We actually were coming back from vacation. And I'm like, babe, I, I, it blows my mind that there's like 50 or 60% of people that haven't been on a vacation in two years. Um, that, that blows my mind. And, and I get it. The finances are difficult. It, it's difficult for everybody to go away and set that money aside and to plan and to do all that and to think wisely about what's the right thing to do. But man, there's a refreshing that takes a place with that. And so we need to, to evaluate our annual rhythms too and making sure we get away because if not, we're going to just show up exhausted. And, and, and what it is is we really think we're robots. We, we think we can just run, 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 run until we die. And I don't care if it's a staycation or whatever. It's just, it's rest that we need. And God wants that for our life. I'm going to ask the, the band to come uh, now and, and I'm going to close. But uh, before uh, I do, I want to tell you an amazing story of uh, when I was in sixth grade and I went to WCW Monday Night Nitro. Come on, somebody. There we go. <laughs> I tried to set it up like it was going to be super serious. That guy gets it. So, um, when I was, uh, when I was in sixth grade, we went to, I was super into wrestling back in the day. Anybody else just go ahead and confess like it's good for the soul? There's a couple people appreciate it. You know, some of y'all just scared to admit it. Um, 
So I remember at the time, like my favorite wrestler was Goldberg. You might know Goldberg. He's the dude that had no neck, which probably describes a lot of guys but, um, in wrestling. But this particular guy, he was a former football player. And what happened uh, is that night, we, we were hoping he'd be there. They don't announce. Back in those days, there was no social media. They didn't announce, you know, who was going to be on, who was the main event. But that was always the buildup. There's all these other, you know, terrible matches. And then there was the main event when your favorite wrestlers come out. And I was just hoping it was going to be Goldberg when he was in Tampa. And, and uh, we're waiting to the end. And Goldberg comes out in his bikini bottoms. It's just the toughest thing you can pick in his closet, the bikini bottoms, you know. And uh, so he, 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 he rushes out, and he's ready for his fight. I mean, he just had a da-da-da-da, like heavy music, get you pumped. And he goes out there, and you guys know the wrestling gig. You know, they go out there, and they fight initially. There's this giant setup, but it's kind of the same thing every single time. And what happens is they'll start taking the punches, they'll start getting beat up, and they're getting hit and getting knocked down, and you think that they're going to lose. They're in the middle of the fight, they just kind of make you feel they're going to lose. And uh, actually, the, the, the Hebrew word in, um, in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 10, for the word decay is the word kashal, and it literally means to waver, it means to totter. And I just got this visual of Goldberg in the middle of that fight. And, they're just, and he's, just wa- you know, he's just wavering. He's just tottering like he's about to fall over. It's like, you didn't get hit that hard. You're a beast, dude. Like, you're good. That guy's a tiny little dude. And he's leaning up against the ropes. And he, like, you think it's, oh, it's done. I mean, for a sixth grader, I probably did think that. But, but he, he's there, and everybody starts chanting his name. Start chanting, Goldberg, Goldberg. And everybody wants his finisher. Everybody wants the spear because he just drill people right in their stomach and knock them back and the crowd goes wild. But there's always that moment. There's always the moment for the wrestler and he's up against the wall and he's tottering and then all of a sudden he just comes to and he's like, let's do this. And then he just goes and he just pile drives and he defeats it. Man, I I want us in the next few minutes, they're going to lead us in worship. And I know some of us, we're wavering because we're in the middle right now. It's not one big shot that's taken us down. It's just a bunch of little shots in which our faith has been shaken. Maybe the shots have started a long, long time ago. Maybe you just come in here and you're exhausted. Maybe you're not and you just need to tuck this away. But I'm guessing we're all in the middle of something right now. We're all in the middle of raising kids or finishing our degree or whatever. Trying to grow as a believer. And I'm just praying that we'll have a moment in which we just stop tottering today in his presence and just snap to. And we see the enemy that's in front of us, and we don't run, we don't fear, we don't fall over, we don't quit. We just go, and we go on the proactive. We choose to stay connected to God. We lean into his word. We choose to be connected to God's people, and I just start some new friendships so that there's people that can breathe life into me, and I just, I give myself, I pour my last 10% out so I see God fill me back up. I wanna pray for you. If you'll stand today, they're gonna lead us in worship. And in fact, there's going to be some people up here around the crosses who have, are, like, are like prayed up and ready to pray with you. So if you're in the middle right now, today, as this next song goes, it's not a big, not a big deal. Don't be worried about what anybody else is thinking. Like you just, you find some people to pray with you today, right up here. You can come to this altar area. You can come to these crosses and have people pray with you or maybe right at your seat. You just make that an altar and say, God, I just open myself up to you. God, give me the strength to fight and keep the faith when I'm in the middle. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are the giver of life. I thank you, God, that 
though we're caught in the middle, we're not in it alone. We've got your spirit, God. We are victorious. We're more than conquerors in Christ. And we've got the body of Christ here to encourage us, to pray with us, to lift us up, God, so that we don't have to waver and totter and keep making the same mistakes over and over again because we think it's all got to be like it is at the beginning. When it's just the reality for a believer, God, it's just hard in the middle. We've got to keep the faith. God, I pray for a rising of faith as we sing and we declare and we open ourselves up to what you want to do in this season. In the middle, God, I just pray that you would just lift our heads. Be the lifter of our heads, God. Let us mount up like wings of eagles, God, and our spirits be lifted as we walk out of this place. Let us snap to spiritually, God, and just lock in to all you have for our lives, God, that we might not miss out, we might not doubt your promises over our life and our calling, God. We just pray it to be today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're in-